0: You doing okay? I'm doing fantastic. Sweet. You've been out on the on the uh, phone and on Zoom all day doing interviews?
1: You're my fifth one today. Um, you're my last one. Okay. And, uh, yeah, long day today. Woke up early, went surfing, interviews. Got to go help out the family um, with some family business shit. And then uh, off to see Lacuna Coyle on the Birthday Massacre tonight. Long day.
0: That's nice. That'll be a good show, though yeah i think uh, edge of paradise is opening for them right you know what i'm
1: not sure who the opening bands are but pretty sure
0: i saw edge of paradise and that's a good show
1: yeah i've i'm obviously very close with some of the you know the older members of lacuna coil um and uh, i've actually been very close with the birthday Masquer for for many years they're one of my favorite bands
0: nice surfing huh i've always wanted to try surfing but I'm, at this stage of the game, I'd break something that would never heal. I imagine you've been doing it for since you were a kid. Yeah. I
1: mean, I grew up, the beach is about 10 minutes away from me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started surfing, I want to say, when I was probably about 12 or 13. I stopped surfing for about 10 years. Uh, when I moved to Santa Barbara so from about 1999 until about 2009 I just completely stopped which I can't believe I did right as I was focusing too much on going out and partying with friends and right hanging out with the guys that would soon we would all be in double driver together and uh, just uh you know doing what 20 year olds do
0: Sure. But, I imagine, though, that's like something, you know, I see people like Kirk Hammock that surf and Randy from Lamb of God or whatever. And I see that that's like something that just gets in your system, right? And once you get the bug, you get the bug. 100%. I, I remember the first time there's a difference
1: between like taking a wave and standing up on it, you know, when it's crumbling into whitewash. But that first time when you stand up a wave and actually... Do it. Drop down the face of the wave, and it's if it's a decent sized wave, there's something that just clicks in your brain and you're just like, I want more of that.
0: <laughs> and, so I'm not here to talk about surfing, but in, in your line of work you get around the world, are you able to take advantage and surf? Like in various un-
1: locations? Unfortunately, no. You know, I've spent a lot of time surfing in Australia. I've gone to El Salvador a few times. Um I've probably surfed in like three or four different cities in Australia. The only time that I've ever surfed on tour was actually at a wave pool in Austin, Texas. (laughs) And there was one day we were on tour with Superjoint and I was... was, Surfing wave pools is just too damn expensive. And (laughs) I wanted to do it once. The place in Austin is not that great of a wave. There's better ones in uh I think there's a better one in Waco, obviously Kelly Slater's wave that is if you want to surf that wave, I mean you gotta be rich. I mean really? it costs. oh yeah. I think to rent that place out for a day is like fifty thousand dollars or oh, something. Oh wait, like really? That. Yeah. For so usually people will get a group of people to pitch so in. It's just and, like
0: a big wave pool. Yeah. Wow.
1: So um Going out and just doing it the old school way is a lot more affordable. Right. But, right. Uh, yeah, I usually don't I don't get time to surf uh, on tours, unfortunately. I've stayed behind. Like, we've gone to Australia, and then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make sure you book my ticket like 10 days after the tour is done right. so I can go hang out with my friends and go surfing for a while, and then I'll come home later.
0: Nice. And then I don't have to pay for a plane ticket. Right. That works out, too. So I'm sorry. I know I got off on a tangent, but it's something I've always been interested in. So. But my fat ass at this age is not going to try it, so I'll just have to live vicariously <laughs> through everyone else. I'll break something that won't be able to re- be repaired at this point. Well, that's the joy of
1: surfing, is when you fall, you hit water. That's why I don't skateboard or snowboard anymore, is because I'm too worried about breaking my hands.
0: Right. Oh, yeah, and then there goes your career. Yeah, well, yeah, possibly. Yeah. Or at least temporarily. Right. Anyway, dealing with Demons volume 2. Let's just jump right into that. I've heard the uh, couple singles or a single off it, uh, Relationship is Broken. Is that the uh, title? Yes. And that is considerably heavier, I think, than the Dealing with Demons Volume 1. Was it something you guys set out to do to make it heavier? And also, before you even answer that, were these written at the same time and then just divided up? Was it like one big collection of songs, or did you write separately for Volume 2?
1: Everything was recorded at the same time. I don't see Volume 1 and 2 as two separate records. It's Volume 1 and 2 is one record. We just... um Releasing 19 or 20 songs all at once I think is a little too bit much. too much for people to absorb. So everything was done at once. Um, I believe the first track listing I saw was when Neil Tiemann sent me his idea of how things should go from one record to the other. I agreed with him. I think we sent that to Dez and... It didn't remain the same, but the record label and Dez switched things around a little bit for the final product. But um, I think people are perceiving Volume 2 as being a little heavier because we have songs like Mantra, Bloodbath, and Volume 2 does not have a song like Wishing on it. So... I am kind of glad that people are perceiving it as a little heavier because we, you know, then we've kind of built things up for our listeners, but uh, we didn't, I don't, I don't think that was a conscious effort to be like, okay, we need to make volume two heavier. It was just Neil picking and choosing. I don't know where his frame of mind was. I was kind of overworking on that record because doing 20 songs is just brutal right we broke our producer he's like i'm glad i did a a double record but he produced and mixed both volumes and mixing 20 songs is just a lot of work i mean you already get through 10 songs and the the mentality that he must have gone through at that point being like i'm only halfway done and my brain is mush right yeah he he did tell (laughs) me that It's like, I don't think I'll ever do a a double record ever again. Like, I'm glad I did it, but I don't want to do it either. I think uh from now on,
0: 12 to 13 songs is enough. Was it your intention to do a double record, or did you just get in there and have 20 songs that you couldn't part with half of them and decided to split it then?
1: No, we went in writing from the very beginning knowing that we were gonna do a double record. It's something that Des always talked about wanting to do. Um I'm not sure why he doing a double record appealed to him so much but um when Neil and Austin were in the band, you know, they the three of us got along very very well. We still do. I'm still very close with both of them. And we never argued. We never raised our voices and We just had a lot of fun together writing. Not that I didn't have fun writing with the other guys, too. That was always awesome. Right. But um, I was older. We were all older, more mature. You know, when Berklin and Miller and Jeff on that lineup, you know, we were younger. I don't think we really had learned how to conduct ourselves in a writing environment. Right. It was a little bit of. My riff is better. No, my riff is better. No, I. This is the good of the riff. How how could you see it any other way? Where I, I think as you get older, you start to mature and, um, start to conduct yourself in a in, in a better way when you're writing, and are more open to other people's ideas because you start to look back and going like, dude, I've written my best stuff when I've been collaborating with other people, not writing on my own
0: and so, in the end you want what's best for the record too right
1: yes and i don't think it would have been much of a different process if berkland was still in the band and miller was in the band and jeff was in the band when we decided to do a double record i think at if they were still at the band at that point we would have been older we would have been wiser and i think it would have gone very smoothly but right. Um, with Neil and Austin in the band, we had gotten to that point. We had done Trust No One. We had done the Outlaws record. We had done numerous tours together, and we had become very good friends at that point. And then came along Steve Evitz, and he was just like the perfect producer to do this. Um, he, unfortunately, he for me, he moved to, to Jersey. I mean, it was a good thing for him, but I'm, I right. miss him because he lived about you know, 30, 40 minutes away from me. Oh, wow. But uh, um, you know, I had never really worked with Steve. I had worked with them a little bit on Outlaws, but I recorded all the guitars and bass for that in my studio because we had we didn't really have the budget for a covers record that we did for um um a album of originals. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got a little taste of Steve um, on that record, and then. Um, I got a big taste of Steve when we started doing dealing with demons right, and uh, I taste. just, I absolutely love working with Steve. He is, he is, fantastic.
0: So the aggressiveness of these songs, as opposed to some of your other stuff, the, was it written during the pandemic? Am I reading no. too much into it? It was not. None of it was written during the pandemic. Everything
1: was my parts instrumentally. I was done with the record in November of 2018. Oh wait. Yeah, and then we uh we took a break over the holidays and Dez started working on the record vocally and was finished by February of 2019. Everything was mixed in 2019 and you know we we're starting to gear up of when we we're going to release it and then COVID hit and Originally, we we hadn't really decided how we were going to release volume one and two before the pandemic hit. You know, there was three options. We could release them both at the same time. We could release them six months apart or or possibly a year apart. Those were the three ideas that were floating around the most. And that completely got shelved when COVID hit. So then it became, well, I'm glad we recorded a double record because we can give something to everybody now when we're on lockdown. Right. And we can save the second half for when we can actually get the band up and running again. And it, you know, I look at it as a big blessing in disguise for the band, you know, because writing during the pandemic I think would have been we could have done it, but there was a lot of things going on, you know, with with Des getting covid, his wife getting cancer. Right, right, right. He, he had some other bullshit going on. Um, you know, my I had to really kind of step in and help out my family in a lot of ways with their business and kind of put music on, on hold for a little bit. Right. But uh um so we all had other things going on and you know, there was a big will we ever be able to tour again? Right. Which is not a very good thing for uh a, touring band. a Well, that is just not even really a good thing to be in the mindset for writing. You know, it's just like, are we still going to be a band? Can we go out on tour again? Is the world never going to be the same? You know, we just didn't know. Right. So, um, but we have started writing for the follow up for dealing with demons. And I'm very excited about it because we got Miller
0: back in the band now nice was it difficult to sit on those songs for that great length of period i mean if you're saying 2018 so some of these have been written for five years almost six years
1: yes um god i probably started writing for this album in 2017 late 2017. yeah so you're
0: looking at six seven years
1: yeah it wasn't honestly i kind of forgot about it you know it's i was glad that we got the first half out but um i think it was probably harder for some of our fans to wait than it was for me you know i'm happy it's out there and but my my mentality is i've already kind of moved on and i'm focusing
0: on what's next right that makes sense put all that crap behind this for sure what um i know you guys are taking this out on the road but what are the you must have a ton of concerns by taking things out on the road now because of the economy and i mean bands like anthrax are canceling tours and everybody over in europe are you guys worried about any of that or are you just going to try and see what happens and go from there
1: if the last tour we did a couple months ago with cradle of filth is any indication of how well things are going to go on tour for us i'm not worried i mean it was honestly it was one of the most fun tours we've ever done you know it was cradle Filth, us black satellite and oni and there wasn't an argument. There wasn't a raised voice. Beautiful. Everything went completely smoothly. Our crews got along long, very well, and I wished it was longer. Right. You know, we it was a, it was a short three week tour, and we had never toured with cradle of before des manages cradle of phil so him and danny have a very good rapport oh nice but i had never toured with them before or the other bands and so didn't really know what to expect i'd always heard good things and i am a cradle of Filth fan right um but it it was like the last week we all started kind of becoming friends and then and then then the tour's over you know so i'm I'm very much looking forward to Octobers because those walls have been broken down. We're a little bit more familiar with one another. And um, I mean, it was just so much fun. It If the show wasn't sold out, it was damn close.
0: Right. And I imagine the energy is probably pretty insane too at a sold out show like that, right? Because everybody was locked away for so long and couldn't get out and see their favorite bands or do or even do anything. So now they're out there seeing their favorite bands, especially a bill like that with their friends and the energy must be insane it was and
1: devil driver has always been a touring machine i'm sure some people could even argue that maybe we toured too much back in the day Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't uncommon for us to be out six to nine months out of the year and hit up some of the same markets you know with different bands right you know um Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media podcast network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. But uh, taking a big, long break, um, mostly because we didn't have a choice. Right. And then finally coming back, I think uh, it made everything a little, a bit more powerful in the long do you, run. Do you feel renewed and reinvigorated? I feel so happy because I know now that I still enjoy touring. Right. You know, Des and I had a conversation over the phone, you know, we had become so accustomed to our home life, you know. Um, I got engaged, he, you know, he's enjoyed being with his wife and his kids. Um, And it's it's nice sleeping in your own bed every day and yeah. be able to wake up and go surfing. And I just love being in my studio. I never get sick of being in here and you know, I I'm kind of built for a pandemic, right. you know, like I, I could still do my two favorite things. I could still go surf and I could stay at home by myself and write music. Right. Like I, I'm good. I don't go stir crazy. I always have something that I can do, but I, Yeah, it was a little bit of a concern of ours. Like, are we going to get out on tour? And are we maybe not going to like it as much as we did before? And, you know, we got Miller coming back. Yeah. We got new members in the band. Um, Every time that we've had a lineup change, it it makes me sad. You know, I really miss Birkeland. I really miss Jeff. um, I really missed Miller. But and I had always had this wall up with new members.
0: Right. Until he gets into home.
1: Luckily that wall came down very quickly. Like I had never met Austin before, I'd never met Neil before when they joined the band, but we just clicked immediately. And, you know, I didn't know what to expect with Miller coming back. And it's it it just gelled very quickly. You know, and having Alex in the band and having DeVere in the band was just you know, I had my wall up there for a little while, but I would say about day three into rehearsal, I was like, dude, we got a fantastic lineup here. That's great. And it's just so nice to have an original member back in the band that was such an integral part of the writing process. And I mean, let's face it, Miller just has the stage presence that no one could hold a candle to. You right. know? And I'm sure old school fans love it, right? Oh, they're so happy. You know, yeah. it just it, it just it's just right. That guy needs to be in devil driver. You know, it's, he's just,
0: he's just built for it. So that's great. It seems like everything is uh, hitting on all cylinders for you guys. And that's pretty wonderful.
1: It is, you know, I I was a little worried at first on how things were going to go, but in the long run, like as soon as I got on that bus and I laid down in my bunk, I just, every day after the show, I would get in my bunk and just be like, oh, this feels so good, and it was so stress-free, and you know, Miller always slept in the bunk next to me, so just having him back there and looking over to my right on stage and seeing Miller over there, and you know, I didn't know how Alex was going to be on stage, and I, you know, watching him, and he's just jumping off shit, and he's got this hair down to his ass, and just an absolute shredder that, you know, it's nice having someone in the band that, you know, I could learn from as well. And I was like, "Dude, this is this feels good." You that's, know, um, that's excellent. Not that it felt bad with the other guys in the past. No, no, no. I get it, but I was worried that it was going to feel bad, right. and but it didn't. And it's beautiful. It's. I, I. think this lineup is. I think this lineup is here to stay. I. I really feel like Devere and Alex and Miller were, and me and Des. This is going to be the final lineup until the day comes where we have to throw in the towel which hopefully won't be anytime soon
0: right so i'm gonna just i had two other questions for you and i'll let you go but you just kind of popped something else into my head did you ever imagine you'd still be doing this this many years later because you've been in it for like 20 30 years now right
1: uh it's been i'm in my 19th year right now uh the my 19th year in the band was last month and I've known that I've wanted to be in a band since I was
0: six years old. Right. But making that a reality and then a successful reality is, is two different things though, right? I always hope for the best and expect the worst. (laughs) Right. You're like me then. Yeah, for sure. So
1: it's like, I always knew that, you know, keeping a band together is a very difficult thing for a lot of people. And, you know, a lot of bands, great bands end up never becoming great because they just can't fucking get along. And every band is going to have a problem. Nothing is ever going to be perfect. There's going to be arguments. There's going to be... You're not going to agree on everything. Um, And, you know, back in the day, Devil Driver was fueled by alcohol. And, like, god damn, we drank a lot. And, you know, that created problems for everybody. Right? But, you know, Des is sober... And, um, I definitely don't drink like I used to, you know, it's, I, I, I mean, I used to get just hammered drunk every day Right on tour on days off, I would take a break. And when I would come home from tour, I just never really felt like drinking. But as soon as I was, I get out on tour, I was just, where's the booze, but we're older now. Um, I'm 42. The hangovers have gotten exponentially worse than they were when I was in my twenties <sighs> And so it's when you're not drinking, touring is easier, you know, like I'll have a few beers before I go on stage. And some days if I got a friend that comes out or, you know, we have a day off, I'll, you know, get some drinking done with, you know, the other bands and go and hang out. But it's not like I I drink within reason now. I just I just don't feel like it anymore. Like I don't like being hammered drunk. The few times I have gotten hammered drunk, it's just like, oops, I drank too much. Time to go home.
0: Right. And then the recovery process as you get older is not easy either.
1: Oh, that shit will last two, three days now. Yeah,
0: that's right. And I absolutely
1: hate being hungover. And then you at yourself
0: for three days. You're like, what the fuck did I do?
1: Yeah. And, you know, it takes a toll on your plane. It takes a toll on your mental health. and heist. I just, I just can't do it anymore. Yeah.
0: No, I you hear don't. you. I haven't seen the tour routing yet. I know you're hitting the road shortly. I haven't seen if you're coming this way because I've only seen you. I got to see you on 70,000 tons of metal, I don't know, a couple, three, four years ago maybe? I think it was probably four or five years ago at this okay. point. It was before the before the pandemic. I don't remember what it was, but I definitely saw you on main stage on on that one. That's the only time I've ever gotten to see you. So I'm hoping you, the routing comes somewhere near me here. But uh, Where do you live? I'm in Richmond, Virginia. Oh, you're in Lamb of God country. Yeah, absolutely. I see Randy <laughs> all the time in town. <laughs> yep, and yeah. waste, and all those guys. Yeah,
1: yeah. I got mistaken for Lamb uh, for Randy. I was in Vegas at Sick New World, and I went to go see Sisters of Mercy the next day. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, the Dreads. Yeah. yeah, I think it's the Dreads. And um, this lady came up to me and um. I don't know how it came up, but I wrote a song many, many years ago that I sold to a music library, and somehow it ended up on Cobra Kai.
0: The the TV series?
1: Yes. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Uh, And I remember watching it because I used to be, you know... The show's pretty cheesy, but um, I just had to watch it because I was such a Karate Kid fan. Yeah, so we did the same thing. Yeah, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, you know, with... uh, my fiance and just I'm like, wait a minute, that song sounds familiar, and I had actually had to Shazam it because I hadn't heard the song in so long, <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, that's my song, and uh, not just mine. It was something that me, Berklin, and, and Jeff wrote, wrote together back in right. the day. But um, I don't know. Hey, I, I was talking to someone, and someone overheard me talking about it because we were talking about the show at a bar before the. Uh, um, I was waiting for the line to die down and to to go inside the club. And this lady comes up to me, and she's like, my son is one of the kids in Cobra Kai. And I was like, no shit. He's like, yeah, he's right out here. And then her husband was around, and her husband was all excited because he thought I was Randy from Lamb of God.
0: <laughs> and was he disappointed afterwards? He, uh,
1: <laughs> prob- he probably was. But, um, yeah, she she went out and introduced me to her son, and we talked about how I had a song on on one of the episodes, and I guess they're... Um filming is on hold right now for that show because of the, the right. writer's strike. Right. Yeah. yeah. So but he was a cool kid. You know, it was it was, it was pretty exciting for me to meet him. And uh, so we talked for a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, reassured his dad that I was not Randy from of God. Right. And uh, um went and saw Sisters of Mercy for the first time in my life. So got what? to check that check that off my bucket list. Finally. I heard that festival was pretty good. It was. I'm not much of a festival person. I I like playing festivals. I don't like attending them. Really? No. It's too long, and it was too hot. I mean, I still had yeah. fun. I haven't been to a festival as a spectator since uh, uh, Ozfest 2000. Oh, okay. After that, I went to Ozfest in '99 out in San Bernardino, California. Then I went in 2000 again, and you know I had fun, but. I realized even, you know, being 20 years old, I was like, I'm just not built for festivals.
0: It takes a lot out of you, but I kind of dig it. I kind of miss the, uh, you know, the warped and the mayhems and all, and even the Ozfest. All those are sort of gone. And they kind of have lots of memories for me in the past, especially in the summer with the boys, you know, when they were younger. That was kind of what we did. We just went to all these festivals and it was great.
1: Yeah. People love them, but definitely not for me. But, you know, I'm very much into industrial and goth and stuff from the 90s. And, you know, I wanted to see Skinny Puppy again because I think they're throwing in the towel soon. Right. Uh, FDM was there. Um, uh, you know, it's funny. My fiance was from not far, grew up not far from Bakersfield, and she had never seen corn before. Oh. So we stayed and watched some of them. We watched the Deftones and, you know, luckily our... Devil Driver's tour manager was doing mixing five bands that day. So, um, luckily I got the special treatment and I got to go right. backstage and <laughs> utilize cold Chambers dressing room and right. all the festivities that happen in the back. Shade, better food and stuff like that. But couch, even right. Yes, and even with all of that I was just like, yep, I got my festival fix and um, I'm, I think I'm good for the remainder of time.
0: Nice. Well, Mike, I got nothing else. I appreciate you taking the time, man. It was good to see you again. Yeah, you too. Good luck with the uh, the new record, and I got to look at the routing. Hopefully, i catch you guys here at some point. Yeah, the
1: routing isn't out yet. I've only seen bits and pieces of it, but uh, um, I would imagine we'll be releasing the routing for that tour in the next month or so.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I know um, I'm not far from Maryland either, so I could probably get up there, and you probably end up at Silver Spring somewhere.
1: I did see... I know East Coast is on the list because I did see a New York City date on there, but um, like I said, nothing solidified. It was Yeah, just no worries. A, it was a
0: tentative routing. Easy enough. Enjoy the show tonight. Thank you for taking the time, my friend. Yeah, no, uh, no be, problem. Be well. Nice talking to you. You too. Cheers. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show.